we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of his talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, authority, beauty and meditation. Extracts from our extensive archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is happiness. Upcoming themes are self-knowledge, anger and God. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. For more information about our activities and programmes, such as our volunteer programme at Brockwood Park in the UK, we are online at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's podcast has six sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's 14th talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Why are we seeking happiness? Why are we seeking happiness? Why this incessant pursuit to be happy, to be joyous, to be something? Why why is there this search, this immense effort made to find? If we can understand that and go into it fully, which I will presently. Perhaps we shall know what happiness is without seeking it. Because after all, happiness is a byproduct, a secondary importance. It is not an end in itself. It has no meaning if it is an end in itself. What does it mean to be happy? The man who takes a drink is happy. The man who throws a bomb or a great number of people feels elated and says he's happy or God is with him. Momentary sensations which disappear give that sense of being happy. Surely there is some other quality that is essential for happiness. For happiness is not an end any more than virtue. Virtue is not an end in itself. It gives freedom. And in that freedom that is discovered. Therefore virtue is essential. Whereas an unvirtuous person is slavish is disorderly, all over the place, lost, confused. But if to treat virtue as an end in itself, or happiness as an end in itself, it has very little meaning. So happiness is not an end. It is a secondary issue, second, a byproduct, which will which will come into being if we understand something else. It is this understanding of something else and not merely the search for happiness that is important. Now, what, why do we seek? What does it mean to make effort? Is it? We are making effort. Why are we making effort? What is the significance of effort? 
said, we are making effort in order to find, in order to change, in order to be something. If we did not make effort, we would disintegrate or retire, go back. Is that so? Please, this is really important to go into very fully. And I will try as much as I can this morning to go into it. If we did not make effort, what would happen? Would we stagnate? But we are making effort. But and why? Effort to change, effort to be different in ourselves, to be more happy, to be more beautiful, to be more virtuous. This constant striving, constant effort. If we can understand that, then perhaps we'll understand more deeply other issues. Why do you seek? Is the search prompted by disease, by ill health, by moods? Because you are unhappy, you want to be happy, therefore you make an effort. Do you seek because you are going to die and therefore you want to find? Do you seek because you have not fulfilled yourself in the world, therefore you want to fulfill here? Do you seek because you are unhappy and therefore you hope for happiness, therefore you seek, search and find out? So you must, one must understand the motive for your search, mustn't you? So what is the motive for your eternal search? If you are really searching, which I question, you want substitution. This is not profitable, perhaps this will be. This hasn't given me happiness, this will. So one is really seeking, not truth, not happiness, but a substitution that will give you happiness, a thing that will be profitable, that will be safe, that will give you gratification. Surely that's what we are seeking. If we are very honest and clear to ourselves, and we close our gratification, with words like God, love, and so on. The second extract is from the second talk in Bombay, 1974, titled What is the Meaning of Life? In our life, we are seeking happiness outside, in things, in houses, in religion, and so on, so on, in things. And we're also seeking happiness inwardly, not being able to find it there or finding it there, not looking inward. When you look inward, we're trying to find happiness in ideas, in conclusions, in what, in beliefs, in gods, which are all the fabrication of thought as images. In our life, There is no complete security, neither in relationship nor in jobs, in anything. There is no complete security. And the mind, the brain demands security. 
Otherwise, it can't function properly. As a child demands security, your brain demands complete, total security. It seeks that security in the images it has built, in your gods, in your gurus, in your books, in your ideas, in your ideologies, and so on and on and on. Those gurus, ideas, gods, sacred books, what others say, are the fabrications of a mind that is living in compartments. So a fragmented mind is not only corrupt, but also it is living in images. Now what I want to get at is this. What is the meaning of life, not what is the purpose of life? You can invent thousand purposes, depending on one's own intellectual capacities, tendencies and idiocies. One can have thousand purposes. I'm not, we are not talking about the purpose of existence. That's a silly question. But if you say, what is the meaning of it? then that question has significance. You know, it's one of the most arduous things to find out for oneself What is the significance? Life is constantly changing, it is in a flux. Everything around you is uncertain. There is death, there is change, there is corruption, everything is going down the hill. One of the signs of degeneration in this country is the following of another. Right? Which means you have never thought for yourself rationally, inquired seriously. You are depending on another, and that is the very essence of degeneration. And you have done it for thousands of years. And what is the meaning of life? Is there in life, in living, an eternity. Or is all life transient? What is the purity of life? Because what is pure is the essence. Now, to find that out, one must go into the question of not only pleasure, fear, punishment and reward upon which we depend, but that is the whole content of life. You understand? 
whether it's pleasure, fear, punishment and reward. This is what we are concerned with. The motive for our action is based on that. And when the mind is living in that in that ground, in that field, then all its activity, all its inquiry becomes meaningless, because your motive is pleasure or fear or pain. So you, one must understand that first, in relationship. When you observe your life, pleasure plays an extraordinarily important part. Not only sexual pleasure, but the pleasure of being somebody, pleasure of achievement, pleasure of success, pleasure of knowledge, pleasure having a gift, and so on. Now can the mind observe that pleasure? Pleasure being the continuance of what has been. What has been sustained by thought. Now, can thought, uh, can there be observation of something that is pleasurable, enjoyable, and not carry it over the next day or the next minute? Look, sirs, all right, let's look at it. You have given such immense importance to sex, haven't you? You are very silent. Your idea of a religious man is a human being that has no sexual relationship. So your gods are non-sexual, and you make such an ado about it. And there are those who say, you must have sex to realize God, you must go through that. And there are others who say, that's the only thing that matters in life. Why have you given such extraordinary importance to it? You understand? It's your misery, not mine. I'm asking the sannyasi who give up, gives up is sexual life, takes a vow of celibacy, is the most unchaste human being, because he is tortured by it. Right? Yes. Look at it. He takes a vow and for the rest of his life he is fighting it, he is burning with desire. And he has never understood the whole meaning of pleasure and desire. And such a tortured human being thinks he can come to reality. So look what you have made of it. So in that question arises, what is celibacy? 
They are all based on pleasure, reward and punishment. What is celibacy? What is a chaste chaste mind? is a mind that is driven by desire, tortured by passion, lust, controlled, not daring to look at a woman or a man, a tortured mind. Can such a mind come to reality? So what is a mind that is chaste? The word chaste means pure, unadulterated. A mind that has no conflict, that is the real chaste, clean, pure mind that has never known conflict. It is only such a mind that can understand love, that can see the purity of eternity. So it is very important If life has to be a something totally different, something that has love, beauty, that we understand this thing called pleasure, fear, pain and punishment. So Is love pleasure? Is love desire? Is love the pursuit of what has been, which has given you great delight? Please, not as an idea, observe it. Look at your own life. Do you know what love means? Do you know what compassion means? Or you say, compassion, love should be that. So we're asking if love is pleasure. Don't say no, you don't know anything about it, because you have never gone into it, you never questioned it, you have accepted traditional meaning of it. Look, if you loved your son and daughter, Would you educate them, educate them as you are educating them now, to, be, to conform to the society? That's what your education is. Do observe it. To get a job, marry, settle down and rot, or get killed in a war. That's what you call education. And you say, I love my son, daughter. Is that love? Is there love when you are ambitious? How can an ambitious man love? How, 
or have compassion. The word compassion means that's a beautiful word. Compassion means passion for all. And passion means passion comes when there is suffering. Out of suffering comes passion. So you must understand suffering. And when we are all human beings suffer in one way or another, but we try to escape from that suffering, run away from it, give thousand explanations for it, rational, irrational, factual, non-factual, but we never stay with that suffering, not morbidly, but be with it, as you would be with something that gives you great pleasure. You don't want it to go away. You don't run away from pleasure. So be completely, totally with that thing called suffering, without a single movement away from it. Then out of that comes the tremendous energy, which is compassion, which is passion, not lust. And a man who is competitive, self-centered, lives in ideas, who is jealous, how can he know love? And yet all of you are that, aren't you? Hmm? You are ambitious, aren't you? Do look at it. You are competitive, and competition competition means conformity. And when the mind is conforming to a pattern, it's not a free mind to inquire. So Look what we have made of life. It's a very sad affair. And that is all we know. We may talk about heaven, we may talk about reincarnation, we may talk about gods and the beauty of life and all that idiotic nonsense, but the actual fact is our lives are such a terrible affair, such a mess. Now can we face this? Look at it, not transform it, not try to make something of it. Because, as I said, in existence there is eternity, in living, and therefore it means also to find out what it means to die. You understand? Living, existing, love and death. That is the one thing that awaits all of us, the old, the young, the unhappy and the happy. That's the one factor in our life that's common. And we have never gone into it, we are frightened of it. Fear is time, 
fear is the product of thought. And being afraid of death, we have put it far away. Something to be avoided. And if you are afraid of death, then seeking comfort in afterlife, reincarnation. The third extract is from the fourth talk in Ojai, 1978, titled The moment you say you are happy, you are not happy. So pleasure, at the moment of pleasure, there is no registration. Right? I wonder if you have noticed it. The moment you say, I am happy, you are not happy. Happiness if it, we won't use, we'll use that word just for convenience. At the moment of being happy, you're, you're totally unaware. But a second later you say, I've been happy, which is the remembrance of that thing, a second later, registered. And the registration of that happiness which is gone, which is dead, that registration is thought, remembering of that, remembering that, inc- that incident and demanding more of it. Right? I wonder. So, thought Remembering an, inst- an incident, however marvellous, beautiful, exciting, that incidents have been registered. Then thought takes it over, remembers it, and then demands more of it. And the more of it is the pleasure. Joy happens by itself, you do. It occasionally, if you are lucky, quiet, unaware, not concerned with your little self everlastingly, it happens. Then, remembrance of it, and, that, and the pursuit of the joy, which is merely becomes a pleasure. So, joy is not pleasure. I wonder if you understand. Now, the problem is modern civilization is encouraging commercially in other ways, to pursue this pleasure. More, more, more. Waste. And so on. We are destroying the earth, we are destroying nature, we are destroying ourselves. And the problem is, seeing the operation, the function of pleasure, again, can one observe an incident like a beautiful sunset and end it, not say, well, I must have it tomorrow. You understand, Michael? That is, you see something extraordinarily beautiful and that's the end of it. Why? carry it over for the next day, which means to observe 
totally with all your senses, then there is no registration. It is the registration, the remembrance of that incident or that happening, and the pursuit of that is pleasure, with all its conflicts, with all its pain, you know, all the rest of it. The fourth extract is from the sixth talk in Sanan, 1972, titled When There Is Enjoyment, The Brain Relaxes. I do not know if you have gone into this question of enjoyment. There is a vast difference between pleasure and enjoyment. Pleasure has a motive. The pursuit of pleasure is the memory of a previous pleasure. And enjoyment is from moment to moment. You can't cultivate enjoyment, but you can cultivate pleasure. And when there is enjoyment, then the brain relaxes. You watch it. But when it is pursuing pleasure, there is it becomes tense, it becomes purposeful, it, it beca- thought then becomes, cultivates determination, will. Whereas there is enjoyment, the whole brain cells relax. I don't know. I I was told the other day by somebody who seemed to know something about this that recently scientists have discovered that when there is an enjoyment, a new gland, a gland at the very centre of the back of the head, functions and brings more activity to the brain which is not the activity of strain. Are you getting it? So, to learn there must be enjoyment. One must enjoy that which one is learning. And you cannot enjoy, be happy in the act of learning when you are comparing, judging, evaluating. Or when you are, what you are learning, you are storing up in order to enjoy more. Right? Please watch your own brain cells in operation. <laughs> Which is really a part of meditation. Is to Observe completely without the act of will. When there is the act of will, then there is conflict. And what we are trying to do this morning, not trying, sorry, what we are doing, I don't like the word try. When you try, it means an effort. If you do it actually, it is it's going on. What we are trying to do <laughs> What we are doing is 
to observe happily why the mind is attached to property. Because unless the brain cells understand, mind understands why there is this attachment, death becomes then a terror. Right? Why is the mind attached to so many things? Is it because there is nothing so permanent as property? There is the house, there is the furniture, the carpet, the picture, they are solid. And in that solidity, mind can take rest and be attached to it. Look at it, go into fellow deeply, you will see it for yourself. The fifth extract this week is from the third talk in Ojai, 1975, titled Is Happiness in the Past or Future? See, we are we live either in the past, a remembrance, in all the things of the past, or in the future. I'll meet you tomorrow, how happy it will be. And how unfortunate it was that this happened in the past, or how happy I was in the past. And I hope that happiness, that joy, that something celestial will take place tomorrow. So we are always caught in this psychological time as memory of the past, and the hope of the future. That is the time as memory, time as hope. And we don't know what it is to live totally now. Because now is life, not there or behind. Am I making myself clear? Not verbally. <laughs> if you observe yourself, if you are aware of yourself, this is what is going on all the time in us. The past and the future. In that, there is suffering. So I have to find out, the mind has to inquire, examine and find out whether there is a timeless state which is called the now. This has been the haunt, the search of deep persons concerned with life, which means, is love a memory? Either 
as the past or the future. I will love you, or I have loved you. And do I know, or understand, or have an insight, or be aware of what love is now? You see, you're following what we are, we are sharing this together? And why do we, as human beings, live in this battle of the past and the future? Which is a tie, the psychological tie. Therefore, there is an effort to forget the past. An effort made to put away the future and try to live in the present. That is, I want to live in the present. We don't understand what that means, but we do just immediately react to every reaction that we have. Idiotic, rational, stupid or neurotic doing the thing now, whatever we want. This is what's happening. And we are asking, as long as man, human being, the mind, is looking to the future, which means hope, which means a sense of advancement, moving towards the ideal and so on. Is that, a, 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 is that the truth or a reality created by the mind, by thought? You are following this? Please do follow this. Thought, whatever it thinks about, is a reality, but is not truth. A reality means the act of thinking about something which then becomes real. That is, reality of a hope, reality of a, of a purpose, reality of an ideal, reality of an enlightenment, all are the projections of thought. Therefore, thought has made that real. But that reality is not truth. Thought cannot think about truth. Now, the truth of finding out, of a way of, of living, not a way, of living without the future and without the past, to find that out, which is the truth, thought cannot invent it. Then it becomes an illusory reality. So, can the mind uncondition itself from them, from the psychological hurts, images, pleasures of yesterday, and the psychological demand? of the future, the hopes, the longings, can that mind, can it uncondition itself and find and see the truth of what it is to live 
totally now, in the now, and therefore that is the truth. The final extract this week is from the first talk in San Juan, 1968, titled To Come Upon Happiness, One Must Understand Oneself. What we are saying is, man has struggled for so long. His life is a battlefield. Not only within himself, but outwardly. All his relationships are in conflict. In the factory, in the office, at home, it's a constant struggle and battle. And we are saying, such a life is no life at all. You may have your gods, you may have your riches, you may have an extraordinary capacity and so on. But we are not living, we are not happy people. There is no happiness, no bliss in our life. And to come upon this happiness and this bliss, one must understand oneself. And to understand oneself, there must be freedom to look. And to look properly, there must be no division between the observer and the observed. And when this takes place, this whole sense of struggle to become something, to be something, disappears. You are what you are, and in the observation of it there, be, there comes an immediate radical change, and therefore that puts an end to the idea of time, gradualness. <laughs> 